I'm Dina, compulsive eater and anorexic. And to qualify, I've had nine years so far of continuous abstinence based upon the eating plan that I worked out with my sponsor when I first entered these rooms. I will say that in my childhood, I experienced what I would classify as the perfect template, and that's kind of a pun for anorexia because a lot of my story is about perfectionism and overcoming the need to be perfect. Somehow I got the idea that I wasn't good enough as I was. And so I had to be the best in the room or the most of whatever in the room. If I couldn't be the best at something, I had to be the worst. It was a black and white world. So uh, if I couldn't be the prettiest or the smartest or the most popular, I wanted to have the worst, most miserable story in the room. I wanted to have the biggest pity party. The, I, I loved fantasy. I lived in a fantasy world. I escaped in a fantasy all the time because I wasn't like any of my cousins or anyone else. They were normal. They played outside. I read books. I isolated. And my favorite story was Beauty and the Beast. And I wanted to be beauty. I thought of myself as beauty, but I also thought of myself as the beast because I was never good enough. I pictured myself as beauty. I looked in the mirror throughout my life, no matter what I felt, who the image I saw staring back at me was the beast. So you can see I've had lifelong dysmorphia. As far as my eating went, from a very young age, and this is going back a very long time ago, I just didn't like eating most of what was put in front of me. And so it became a contest of wills with my mom. Back then it was stay at home mom. And so I would be sitting at the breakfast table long after everyone else was done, my brother, and I wouldn't eat and dinner too. So back then you would get spanked and the tool that was used was a belt. And I remember being chased through the house because I didn't want to get spanked with belts. And this is being whipped kind of <laughs> that, that left welts. And to this day, I have a visceral reaction when I see belts. And she didn't know any better. I mean, that's what people did back then. I didn't use bad word. I didn't get punished for bad words or fighting or anything. It was for not eating. So anyway, I grew up and I had to be perfect. I had to get straight A's and all of that kind of thing. So all of that created this mix. And then a little later in life, when I, when I hit uh, puberty, I, I learned uh, the site. I fell into this cycle of manifesting my issues in eating for <laughs> gee what a surprise <laughs> and i could either overeat 
or under eat because remember, I didn't know balance. I'm either black or white. So I have gone back and forth a lot. And I tried overeating, but there was no joy in it. It just felt very mechanical because it meant I could have anything I wanted and big deal. Uh, my, I would wake up with sore jaws and I, I didn't even taste the food and I got fat. So the other extreme was restriction. And I'm not even saying restriction. I'm saying privation. I had to go way overboard. And so that's what I did. And there is nothing as appealing, as sexy, as having, as seeing something there and you can't have it. So I, I loved being anorexic and in a way it's like being addicted to excess because have, have you ever heard the term glutton for punishment? It's an excess of self-punishment. I loved the way that starvation felt. It was self-punishment. My yardstick for knowing that I was doing it right was feeling these intense, sharp pains throughout my midsection, starting early in the morning and not really satisfying them throughout the day. I just barely, my contest, and it was a contest with myself only, was to make it through the day. And I'm sure I was consuming my own stomach lining. I'm grateful that during one of my periods of overeating or whatever, I, I was able to put on enough weight to eventually have kids, thank God, uh, because there was a period when I uh, stopped menstruating and all of those other things. I do remember a period when I, my mom hadn't seen me in a while and I went over to her house and she just burst into tears by seeing what a mess I was. My skin was green, I was losing hair, and my flesh was, <laughs> was like putty. I'm, I'm sure I lost brain cells. And I remember the feeling, which is awful. I just felt, yeah, I'll get you back for this. And that's so cruel. It's just, it's just mean. And I was, I was just spiteful to people. I, at work, people were concerned about me. I couldn't concentrate on my work. I was just obsessed with food all the time. By then I had kids. I'm sure I wasn't a good mom to them. I, um, let's see, uh, some of the other things that were going on. I was just crabby and irritable to people all the time. And I didn't care what people said as long as I could lose weight. And I was in a support group at my, uh, at my church at the time. 
and they were concerned. They were really freaked out. And I told them, oh, I reached this weight, but, and it wasn't a but, it was an and. I'm so thrilled. I'm just going to go for the next, the next figure. I'm just, just, let me hit the next five pound, the next five pounds, and then I'll stop. Okay, I reached that. Now I'm gonna go for the next five pounds. There was no stopping. I was trapped. And let's see, another, another thing was, I was so messed up, I had to drive long distances from my job to other places around the county. And I was so, I had no energy to do anything. And I was actually in danger of passing out at the wheel. How awful is that? Not only would I maybe kill myself, but I might take out innocent lives. And I remember how awful, like Mothers Against Drunk Driving, I thought, what if I did something like that? And I am a mother of two wonderful sons. That's when I knew I had hit bottom. How dare I take that risk with others for my vanity and my sickness and my disease. Also, I was in no shape to have a romantic relationship. That was another danger signal as if I didn't feel trapped enough. How could I, how could I be in a relationship with a man? I, I didn't have any respect for my body and I had lost all sexual desire because all of my physical resources had been deployed to just keeping me alive. <laughs> and any guy who actually wanted me or was willing to put up with me, I had no respect for. It was like that Groucho Marx joke. Any club that would want me for a member or I have no respect for any club that would want me for a member. <laughs> so how it all changed was um, I had a, a caring doctor who said, you need to go to OA. And so to prove him wrong, I went, to, I found an OA meeting here in San Diego. As soon as I walked in, Thank God, I immediately understood that everyone had the same story that I did. And I am so, so grateful. Um, I just heard, I heard myself in everyone's stories and I saw that you did want me for, for a member and something really, really good. There are two kind in, in the big book. And so much of my recovery is based on the big book and I'll be forever grateful to my sponsor. Um, it talks about Bill W and getting this bolt of lightning 
recovery, spiritual recovery, and many other people getting a gradual recovery. And I'm such a drama queen. I was waiting for this bolt of lightning recovery, but what I got was what I needed, a gradual spiritual recovery. And it happens every day, every day that I work program. So um, it's a part of it is understanding this relationship between starving and binging, because when I push myself to the limits, when I'm competing and this black and white thinking, what's really feeding it? It's really, it's my self-hate, my self-centeredness. And what's my self-centeredness based on? It's my fears. So I have to go back and look at my fears. And there's so many wonderful tools in this program. Um, so much of my life has been based on control. I have to go back and look at why I thought that I could control myself and control others. Why did I think that I could control the universe? I couldn't even control myself. As a substitute, I would go around and tell other people what to do. I am such a micromanager. And I have learned, thank God, in this program and everywhere else in my life, that people have this funny way of not doing what I tell them to. And thank God they don't, because it's such a marvelous lesson, because it turns out so much better than what I had in mind. <laughs> and thank God I'm, thank God for having a sense of humor, because I may not get it in the moment, but I will get it eventually. You know, uh, sometimes, sometimes I'll cry and have a, have a hissy fit or whatever, but someone will point it out to me. And I gotta say, having a wonderful sponsor and having wonderful sponsees has taught me so much. And I think the benefit of having sponsees is that you have to get honest about your own- Five more minutes. Oh, thank you. Great. The benefit of having sponsees is that you have to get real. You have to examine your own program. Your sponsees teach you so much. I am just blessed with having the most wonderful sponsees. And um, so that's one of, that's been one of my favorite tools. And um, one of my favorite sayings, as always, is in page 417 of the big book, it's um, acceptance is the answer to all of my problems today. And a big part of that is self-acceptance, self-love. If I'm cruel to myself, then I can't help but be cruel to others. That's a lesson I have to keep learning every day. Because that character defect keeps cropping up. 
unexpected. And I, I have to spend time with my higher power whenever that happens. Um, let's see. Some of my favorite tools are being of service, um, just being open and willing and being honest. And let me see. Because I find that I, I used to love wearing masks, but when I came into program, I had to strip off the mask. I wanted to be a beauty, but I had to work my program in fellowship with others. And you all have to see what's going on with me. And I have to share it without shame because I'm, I'm just one of you. We're all on the same playing field. I'm no better and I'm no worse. And thank God for that. I don't run the universe. Thank God. Um, I have to trust in my higher power. And thank God I'm learning to trust. And it's been hard to give that up. But that's how I got into trouble in the first place. And every day I have to go through the 12 steps in order. I have to admit that my life is unmanageable and come to believe that there's a higher power that can restore me to sanity and all the rest and be willing to work. And I'm recovered because I have had a spiritual awakening. And as long as I keep working the program, then I have a reprieve. I can never be cured, but I can be recovered and I can keep that alive. And hopefully I can carry that message of recovery. For me, this is a spiritual program. The food is but a symptom. Any of my addictions are but a symptom. It's about spiritual recovery. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dina. Uh, that was an incredible share of the transformation that you've experienced and just all the hope that you have to offer. Thank you for being here with us today. Uh, our next panelist is Eileen. You're up. I, you're, it looks like you're muted. There we go. There we go. Okay. Oh, my heart is just pounding. Okay. Hi, everybody. My name's Eileen. I'm a compulsive overeater vomiter. And oh my God. You know, I look around this room and I see all this love, you know, and I don't even know. I mean, I've never touched you guys, but you're my sisters and brothers in recovery. And I am beyond grateful that you have all shown up and are in my life and helped me stay sane, <laughs> as sane as I can. Um, 
Okay, so I'm asking God to speak through me because I do not want to come from ego. And I want to make sure all of you guys get something, or at least one of you get something, and that I am amazing and awesome, and that's not my job. My job is just to speak up and speak my truth. And um, so, you know, where I came from, we all came from very similar places. You know, some people came with great parents. Some people came with, you know, it doesn't matter where we came from. Um, we're here because of where we came from. Um, I came from a lot of rage and fear. Um, my dad was a rager. And though I don't really remember being the brunt of that other than one time having him hit me with a belt and looking at me and saying, do you want me to give you something to cry about? And me going, oh, okay, that's it. No more feelings. Um, but apparently um, he would yell and scream and at my brother because my brother seemed to like to ta taunt him. And I guess this is, I'm learning this now. Um, I hid in the corner under the piano and um, because my mom would scream at my dad to not kill my brother. Um, and, you know, I, what I'm learning in recovery is that that kind of rage is stifling. You know, I mean, I could never have a voice. I had to hide. I was afraid that I would be next. And if I did have a feeling, I had a Jewish mother who would take on my feelings and then I'd have to fix her. Because if I said I'm upset about something, then she would say, oh, my poor baby. And then I'd have to fix her. So, um, again, I knew nothing about this until I stopped binging and purging. Um, I thought my father was, you know, father knows best. My mother was Donna Reed. Um, <clears throat> and I don't remember food growing up. Um, I did not discover bulimia until I was 30 years old when a friend of mine's a friend of mine said, you know how you could eat anything you want, not get fat. Now the big book tells us this is disease is progressive because that's the way I started. And um, it became a 50,000 calorie a day thing from the time I woke up in the morning until the time I went to bed, it was binging and purging, binging and purging, binging and purging. There is a, a I, can we mention food or types of, type, I don't know. Okay, so there was a donut shop I used to stop at. And when I was in recovery, I went back there and the, the lady goes, oh no, apple fritter? Because I would go in there and order a ridiculous amount of that sugary substance and they remembered me. Um, but, you know, I'm sure prior to program and prior to my eating disorder, I used other things to self-soothe myself. I was in multiple marriages. Um, I didn't say I'll date you. I said, I'll do, I do many times. And, um, because I didn't, I, if you loved me, well then take me because nobody else will. Um, and you know, this program, you know, we, like when I look around this room, we are like survivors from a shipwreck. We all have something in common that draws us to each other. And that's the gift of this, one of the many gifts of this program. You know, they say, don't leave before the miracle happens. I came in here in 1989. Ellen, you can show my pictures. Um, that girl that came in these rooms didn't think she was thin. 
Okay, I'm five foot ten, 104 pounds. It's always a little thing, but I didn't think I was. I mean, you can see it in my hair and my hands and my, look at that. I mean, bless my heart. I was implants, that's all there was. Okay, so you can get rid of that because that's really sad. Um, you know, um, they see, so don't leave before the miracle happens and let us love you until you can love yourself. And if we do as much for our recovery as I, if the time that I spent thinking about food and planning my binges and where I would throw up and all the food in the car, I had willpower. Let me tell you, I had willpower. I could have this amazing food sitting in my car for one hour because I knew I had one hour before I had to hit the toilet and I would let it sit there and I could like mouth watering and wait until that hour and then I would start binging so I could get to the toilet in time. And I was a natural bulimic. So anyways, you know, um, this program just, you know, gives us a life beyond our wildest dreams. Um, I love that when I came in, they said we get to choose our own God because or our conception of, of what that is. So we have to find something that's greater than ourselves and it's not us. And because when I grew up, I had this God that was, you know, had the long white beard and the robes and the task thing. And on Yom Kippur, he would write whoever would live or die. And I was screwed if, if I believed in him. And if I said I didn't believe in God, I thought I was going to be struck down by lightning. So, you know, the big book tells us we can choose our own concept. And, you know, it's it it says there's a solution the big book tells us there's a solution. And it also tells us we're people who normally wouldn't mix. But there exists among us a fellowship, a friendliness, and a wonder, and an understanding, which is indescribably wonderful. And that's really what we have in these rooms. And, you know, the, the big book is, in my opinion, the guiding light to recovery. I mean, it says, let's see, on page 45, it, you know, again, it goes back to just talking about our power, you know, lack of power. That was our dilemma. We had to find a power which we could live, which by which we could live. And it had to be a power greater than ourselves. And then we could find we could it could be anything we want. When I first came into recovery, for me, it was Glenda from The Wizard of Oz because she would come in and be gentle and loving. And that's what I needed. I needed to, for somebody to say, of course, that's how you feel, baby girl. Of course, it's okay. Now, what can you do today for your recovery? Um, you know, God is my higher power. Sometimes I call him God. Sometimes I call him higher power. Sometimes I call him Glenda. Um, I know that the problem is between my ears. It's not this food. It's not about the food. It's about why am I eating the food? Why am I stuffing down my feelings? Um, I know today I am enough, I do enough, and I have enough. And I have to act as if and feelings will follow. Self-loving actions, like taking care of yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually, your feelings will follow. You know, the tools of this program are my armor against the disease. When I get up in the morning, well, anytime I wake up in the middle of the night, I say the third step prayer. And when I get up in the morning, I hit my knees and I pray for people 
for other people. And I pray that God shows me who he wants me to be. And let me tell you, when I, you know, I came in in 89, I worked this program to the best of my ability. I could not be honest. I stuck around for about six, eight years. I would throw up once a week, once a month. It wasn't like it was when I first came in. But I, I stayed close to people in recovery. I stayed close to my higher power. And um, I had an incident before I moved up here. And um, I thought I was going to die. My friends thought I was going to die. And I remember raising my hands and saying, God, this is yours. I cannot do this. I, I, can't, I can't do this. And I got on my knees every morning and I prayed for this person that was trying to destroy my life. The beginning of the prayer was, I pray for this person. I hope she has everything she needs. And by the year, I was praying for her in a loving way. And, you know, that's what this program teaches me. And I'm going all over the place, but that's okay. Um, you know, the, th the one of the things that I remember that hit me so hard was hearing in our meetings that let us pray for the people who still suffer, people that we haven't met, people in and outside of these rooms. And what touched my heart was, you guys prayed for me before you even knew who I was, before I even got here. And I got here because of that. And that's, you know, the we part of this program. You know, it's addiction is the opposite of connection. We have to keep our head where our feet are. We have to believe in faith, not fear. Um, if you want fellowship, we go to meetings. If we want recovery, we work the steps. And I heard Dina say, you know, acceptance is the answer. I have to accept myself and I have to accept other people. And I'm the only one that can change. And it's interesting how everybody else around me changes when I change. Um, you know, I, I also believe that God brought me to OA and OA brought me to a relationship with God that I never had before. Um, I heard a, a, on a webinar, one of the podcasts, um, you know, getting better doesn't always feel better. Because when, when we stop using the food, then all of a sudden we feel <laughs> better. That means we feel our feelings better. And the truth is, if I'm willing to go through that one-time door of pain around a particular issue, I will come through to the other side to a freedom that wasn't there before. Food is a revolving door of suffering. If I go to the food rather than face my feelings, I'm going to have to face the feelings. Besides the fact the suffering will continue to come around, I'll be in the revolving door, and eventually the food will kill me because the feelings are not going to kill me. It's the food. And, and when people say to me, oh, you know, I know for me, compared to me, I'm a... I won't say the word, flipping miracle. I'm a miracle of this program. And you know what? If you see it in me, it's in you. Because you wouldn't see it in me if it wasn't in you. And, you know, this program teaches me the big book is a guidebook to our recovery. 
every page. I mean, like you show me my big book, it's like highlighted all over the place. I also have my original big book that's falling apart. Um, the steps are our guide. You know, they, they show us how to recover. Step one through three, I have to admit I'm powerless over people, places, and things, not just the food. And then I have to come to, I have, I came to believe, I have to come to the belief that there's something bigger than me that can help me. And then I be, have to become willing to turn my life over to that power. Now in step four, I have to look at what I did and I have to own my part. And I also, I tell people what I believe that is important in step four is not just listing the horrible shit that I did and the, the stuff I have to apologize, all that stuff. I tell, tell my sponsors, you know, you have to look at the positives. I want you to make a list. What are the positive attributes? And, and in my first, one of my fourth steps, you know, I remember them saying, make a list of people in your life that you admire. And then list their characteristics and then see that those characteristics you have as well, because you wouldn't be able to see those characteristics in others if you didn't have it yourself. Um, step five, you, you know, admit, you say it out loud, you find your patterns, um, get out of the shame, you admit to God and someone else what, what I've done and and the defects that caused me to act out. And step six is just being entirely ready to have God remove these defects. And also for me, for God to show me what those defects are. And willingness is essential. Uh, seven to nine, step seven to nine, we make, make our amends. We make up, we make amends. 10 through 12, we grow up and we share the blessings of this program. We share how we recovered, we share our experience, strength, and hope. And, and we take the hand of the other person and we guide them along. And for me, they teach me as well as me teaching them. That's, what, that's the we part of this recovery. And some of the great little things that I love. Ego is edging God out. Eileen, five more minutes. Thank you, Kathy. Um, God is good orderly direction. Push is pray until something happens. Hope I love because it's my middle name. My mom made sure I had hope in my name. Um, hope is hold on pain ends. That's a promise of this program. If you hold on and you ask for help and you're willing to set your boundaries and you're willing to do what it takes, the pain will end. Um, pause. I've heard two interpretations of pause. Practice acceptance until spirit emerges. I like practice acceptance until surrender emerges. And the other one is um, that one of our fellows told me the other day, paying attention unveil, unveils sacred experiences. So, you know, it's progress, not perfection. Um, I also heard, heard in a meeting, when I ding my car, I don't have to total it. My abstinence is no vomiting no matter what. Uh, if I eat an extra bite of broccoli or I eat, well, I'm, it doesn't matter. It's not about the food. It's about what's going on inside of me. So it's don't leave no matter what, because I've done that. And it's 
stay in these chairs. When your butt's in the chair, you are in recovery because you're going to hear something in the rooms and no vomiting no matter what. That's my thing. Um, I also say to, to myself and others, bless my heart. You know, I'm the mama now. And I'm the only one that can keep this baby girl alive. And my hole inside of me that I tried to fill for so many years is God-sized. And there's no amount of food that could fill it. I remember in the beginning of my recovery, because probably the trucks aren't there anymore, but the big Antamon, the bakery truck that would go by, not enough. Because I could eat everything in that truck, throw it up, eat more. I mean, food will not fill the hole inside of me that I look to food to fill and neither will people, but my relationship with my higher power will, and my higher power will lead me if I'm willing to be quiet and listen. My higher power says, bless your heart, precious child. I do a lot of two-way writing with him, her, who, whatever. Um, and it's a gentle, loving spirit that guides me. And then when I can't hear God, I make a phone call to one of you people in this room. And I'm so grateful for the wisdom that you share with me and the love that you share with me is something I've never experienced, you know, and, um, and I'm willing to take it in. And I'm the person who said, I'm grateful for the pandemic because I live in this podunk little town with no OA meetings and certainly no anorexic meetings. There's only AA here. And um, of course they probably need OA too, but just saying, it's not mine to judge. Um, so I have you guys and I, you know, it's like this pandemic has been for me treatment 2.0, because I went in, I came into the program through a hospital program, and the past 15 months have been treatment facility 2.0. I stay at home. I go to meetings. I make make a minimum of three to five to ten, whatever I need, outreach calls. And three means I connect with somebody, not just leaving messages. And that saves my butt. I do the writing, I read the big book, I work my steps to the best of my ability and it's not perfect. And I don't work this program perfectly, but I don't think we're meant to work this program perfectly. Because if we did, well, we'd get to graduate and gone, you know? This program is progress. It's progress, not perfection. And you guys have taught me that. And I'm so grateful for the many of you in this room that I see your faces. <laughs> And I can't help but cry because you mean so much to me. And it's because of Zoom that I get to see you. And I see a lot of these people more now than I did when I lived in that state where those meetings are. So I'm so grateful. I'm grateful that I was asked to speak, even though I was nervous as hell and figured I had nothing good to share. I was told I would. And... Um, this should be just about my time. So I'm going to say thank you to everyone who's here. Thank you to all of you who touch my life on a daily basis and who inspire me to be a better me and be the best me I can be. So thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Eileen. Wow, your higher power really spoke through you. Thank you so much for being here with us today.
and sharing your vulnerability. Um, and now for our last panelist, uh, we have Phyllis. Phyllis is up next and go right ahead. Hi, um, I'm Phyllis. Hi, everybody. Um, compulsive overeater, bulimic, restrictor, and body obsessor. I just, I have to take a deep breath because I, I never feel worthy and I'm really nervous, but I'm so grateful to be here and I am accepting that all of you love me and you want me here today. And I'm so happy to be here with you. Um, I, I have been a compulsive overeater for as long as I can remember. Uh, my earliest memory of eating compulsively was probably three years old. You wanna uh, watch this with me? Yeah, yeah. yeah. My earliest memory was probably, yeah, about three years old, uh, compulsively eating. I grew up in a house with parents who loved each other, but didn't, they shouldn't have been together. They both were pretty, had their own issues. My dad was a habitual chronic cheater. Um, and I remember arguments, I remember yelling, screaming, all of that. I grew up with that. And I learned how to comfort myself with food. And I always say that, you know, I've been an adult all my life because when you grow up in chaos like that, you just kind of take on this, you know, for me, it was this, I have to take care of myself. Um, and I took care of myself emotionally. You know, as a kid, I didn't like being with other kids my age because I felt like an adult. I didn't like amusement parks. I didn't like things that kids should love because I had taken on my parents' stuff, all of their, you know, just all of their stuff. Um, I became very, I was always nervous and afraid. I was always waiting for something to happen. And it always, for me, it was always at the dinner table I can remember hoping that my mom wouldn't say anything to my dad, because if she said something to him, he would get mad and then everything would start. It was just, if she, let's just eat in silence, she won't say anything, we'll be okay. So that's the kind of, you know, from age three, that was just who I was. I was just this little grown up who all I wanted was for somebody to love me and to see me. And I, you know, I say if there was ever a mantra for me, it was see me, love me, choose me, please don't leave me. Just never leave me. Just take me, tell me I'm good enough, hold me, just love me. Um, I, you know, the first time I can remember hating my body was kindergarten. Um, I failed, it was kindergarten or first grade, I failed this presidential physical fitness test. And 
my parents were called called in my teacher explained to them what happened you know i couldn't do enough pull-ups i you know all of it and my dad i think it became shame for him because his way of helping me was to tell me that nobody would ever love a fat girl nobody would ever take a fat girl to the prom and nobody would ever marry a fat girl so at five years old that's what i became the fat girl that nobody would love um every everybody around me seemed to be better and different my mother was beautiful um i don't know if you know if anybody if you've ever been overweight with a beautiful mother it just it plays you know it, it's just i feel like i spent most of my life if not all of it just trying to be her um she never criticized me about my weight but it was what she didn't say it was the thing she didn't she never touched me she never hugged me she never said i love you so for me, I thought my way of making her proud, making her love me was, you know, I could be the perfect weight, I could be the perfect child, I could look more like her, and I would do whatever I could do to get that. Um, when I said, you know, I, I said it was what she didn't say, she bought me a girdle, I think, around 11 or 12 and uh, long, this, what we call then a long line bra. It's like this corset that just with like all of these little, yeah. And if you can imagine being that age, going to PE with all this stuff, this extra stuff that nobody else has. So even though she never said, Phyllis, you don't look right, you're not right, those things told me I was no good. I was, I would never be good enough. I could never be good enough for her. And I was always trying to run after her. I just wanted her to love me. Um, I remember, you know, it took a while before I, I you know, being here being in program to see that my mom was a restrictor. She ate dinner and she, she still does. She eats her dinner from dessert plates. She abuses laxatives. And I learned how to do that from her. I saw her do it. As I got older, I started picking up some of those habits. Um, I remember my first diet was probably probably seventh or eighth grade. And um, just the humiliation of being on a diet at, you know, 12 and 13. And it continued, you know, I went to, got to high school and for some reason, you know, I just kind of got taller and weight just kind of came off. But I still, whenever I looked at myself, I still hated myself. I hated hated. And I still knew that nobody would ever want me. Nobody would ever love me. 
I started um, dating and I would allow anyone who wanted me to have me because I, I, you know, I was a kid that nobody would love. So anybody who wanted me, if, if I hear, oh, this person likes you, Phyllis, okay, I like him too. I married the first person that I say was willing to because I was never good enough. Um, and I'll probably jump around a bit and I apologize for that, but I, yeah, I started coming in and out of program when, uh, let's see, 26 years ago, in and out of program. My first meeting was in LA and I remember walking in the rooms, listening to people share, and I knew it was exactly where I was supposed to be. What scared me was the steps because I thought I was gonna get a diet. People were gonna tell me how, you know, how to lose weight because that was my only problem. That was it. So I, I call it, I did maybe a two and a half step program, the Phyllis two and a half step program of homeschooling. I would do one and two, half of three, because nobody was, I couldn't imagine telling somebody all of my deepest and darkest secrets, fears, because if I told you everything about me, you would hate me too. And the goal was I needed you to love me because if you loved me, that meant that I was okay. I didn't know that I had to love myself. So I began this 26 year of running in and out of the rooms, in and out. You know, I'd come in, I'd stay yeah, just from, from LA to Tennessee, back to LA, back to Tennessee, to Seattle, just, you know, I'm still looking for this thing that will fill the hole. And all of you are telling me, you need to work these steps. You have to work this program, but I was still not willing to do it. So, and you know, I'm still skipping, but I wanted to talk about um, the laxative abuse for me. I, I, um, I don't even remember when I started doing it. It was just something I saw my mom doing and I just figured, okay, this is what I'm gonna do. And I became a regular, ugh, and, and, and it is the, when I think about it now, the worst to try and time laxatives, to try and figure out when you need to take it, if you have to work, if you, it, it was just, and, and it just consumed me. And all of it was this need to look like the person I think I should look like. Um, so about, I think it was six years ago, I got, I, I was sick. I had um, diverticulitis and um, started bleeding. And of course I, I was so, uh, you know, I, I got afraid, didn't know what to do. I couldn't get to my doctor's office. And 
For a compulsive overeater, the thing for me to do was to eat. And I ate, ate, ate. And because I couldn't keep it in, I had to take a laxative. And I just, I had this bottle of stuff and I drank the whole bottle. And it, it a day later, I ended up in the emergency room, passed out in a pool of blood on the in the bathroom. Um, I had three blood transfusions and I was in intensive care for three days. When I, when I, I passed out and when I came to, I saw they were taking me to intensive care. I could see it, I'm looking up from the bed and I'm crying, I had a panic attack and I'm telling them that I am okay. I don't need to be in intensive care. Why are you taking me here? And during that visit, that time, I never told my doctors or nurses that I had taken this laxative. They were, I could see the nurses' faces every time they would come in the room because I couldn't, you know, you, I couldn't flush because they wanna know what's going on with you. And the looks on their faces, they were just like, I, we cannot figure out why this bleeding won't stop. But I never said a thing. Um, and, I, and, and, I look, and I think about that now, when, when I hear people say, this disease wants me dead. This disease will kill me. And it's, I, I saw it that it, it wanted me dead and it would kill me. And I still wasn't ready to admit that I had a problem with laxatives because in my mind, what a bulimic was, was this really thin person. So of course I couldn't be that. And you know, the, the big book tells us that we know very little. And I just could, couldn't accept that I had a problem that, you know, it, and, and thank God the, the bleeding, it just stopped. It just stopped. And it, nurses were, there was one nurse in particular came in my room and she just said, can I pray for you? This is how sick I was, but still I was not willing to, to admit that I had a problem. During that visit, I also found out that I had cancer, a tumor on my, um, on my colon. And my sick mind went, well, you know what, Phyllis, this is why all of this happened. So you would find out you had cancer. So it's not a last thing. Five more minutes, Phyllis. Thank you. It, it was, you know, I made a, I made an excuse. It's not the laxatives. It's just, yeah, you needed to know you had cancer. So there you go. Um, so I continued same behavior, same behavior. And this past November, which is, uh, I guess, about eight months ago, I don't know what happened. I don't know what the meal was. I just knew I'd had enough. And I became willing to come back to program and do whatever I was told to do. So I came in, I got a sponsor. Um, I worked the steps. 
Um, the, the one thing that I thought would kill me, it actually gave me life. I never dreamed I could ever tell somebody my secrets and they would still love me, but I didn't. I did service in meetings. I, I came back 90 meetings in 90 days. I took five or six different service commitments. And it, you know, I, I have sponsees. This program has saved my life. I am so grateful to all of you. Um, I was sitting here and um, one of my sponsees, I saw her name as she came into the room. And it makes it just, I started crying when I saw her name because I am so grateful for her. Um, this, yeah, I'm just, what I get from working with, with her, we walk together through this program and um, I am just grateful to be here. I, you know, I, I always feel like I have nothing to say. I have nothing to give. And I hope that somebody got something from all of this rambling. But if you do, if you do anything, just keep coming back. This program works. It worked 26 years ago when I started coming in and out, but it was me. I was not willing. You know, but thank you all for letting me share.